We'll turn, if you will, in the Word of God to Revelation chapter 19. Over this last year at First RP, we have been working our way through the book of Revelation, and uh, we've been trying to do it at a pretty good clip. Uh, I think when I get back next Lord's Day, we'll, we'll have achieved chapter 20. Um, but it has been a wonderful exercise, one, because the book of Revelation is probably one of the least often preached upon books of the Bible, and yet it is a book that is filled with blessing for God's people. We are encouraged to read this portion of God's Word and to be under the preaching of this Word. It's, it is kind of an amazing thing when you're beginning a preaching series through Revelation, how few commentators who, who may have approached every other area of God's Word will undertake the task of Revelation. Uh, Calvin himself stayed away from it and, and didn't, didn't create a commentary on Revelation. And yet it is so important for us to familiarize ourselves with it because from the very outset of the book of Revelation, Christ says to us, this word is intended that you may know what is to come to pass. And again and again and again throughout the book of Revelation, we are reminded of the care of Christ for all those who are His. In very profound ways. You may remember back in Revelation chapter 1, John is given a vision. John first hears a powerful voice that sounds like thunder. And we'll, get, we'll look at that a little bit later this morning. But he sees a glorious one standing in the midst of candlesticks, those candlesticks representing the church. And that loving Christ is examining each of those candlesticks. He, he knows them. And then he, he writes to them. And he writes knowingly of each one of those candlesticks that surrounded him. And he praises them for those things in which they are doing well, their obedience, their faithfulness where it is exhibited. And he shows his loving concern for his sheep and that where there are wounds or deficiencies, he alerts them to them and he strives that they would be mended. Now, most people, when they contemplate the book of Revelation, if you ask someone along the street about this book, they'll often say, well, I, I tend to stay away from the book of Revelation. It seems scary, the visions, and it has to do with judgment, which it does, and yes, there are. But another way that Christ shows us his love, care, and concern is that every once in a while as he deals with difficult matters, after he has presented to us perhaps what the judgment is to look like when those seals are broken, and we might be tempted to despair at the greatness of the calamity that comes upon those walking apart from Christ. He then inserts these little intermissions. 
And he draws back the curtains that we might see heaven. That we might be reminded that his throne in heaven is not empty, but that he sits upon that throne and rules. Why? Because he knows we need to be encouraged. He knows we need those reminders of his continued work, his continued care for us. We need to be reminded of, of the great contrast of the eternity that faces those who are apart from Christ from all those in whom He has made new, given new hearts and whose hope is in Jesus Christ. And so now when we come to chapter 19, this is another one of those intermissions, another one of those important glimpses. Why? Because if you look back a couple of pages to Revelation 17 and 18, what are the matters that we're dealing with there? We're dealing with the destruction of Babylon, aren't we? That harlot, that wicked one, that one who had been used to draw away men from all around, that one who had feigned to be rich, though she dwelt in the wilderness, a desert, that we might understand all those things promised by the world are nothing but emptiness, are illusions, and do not last. We've dealt with the destruction of that great city of Babylon, that worldly city. And so now, Christ gives to us a contrast. If you glance back to that dealing with in chapter 17, Babylon, and you, you look at some of those key points about her, and then contrast that with the bride of Christ that we'll be looking at now as we turn our attention to Revelation 19, verses 6 to 10. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May God be pleased at His blessing to the reading of His Word and write it upon our hearts. Well, as we delve into this 
passage here this morning. We're going to deal with three things. One, we're going to be looking at and we are given a glimpse of a heavenly host and it is important that we understand what is here being pictured and what it represents for us. Second, we're going to see expressed here the fulfillment, the completion of that work which the Lord set out to do in all those who are His. And so we are going to see servants made perfect. And lastly, and perhaps in keeping with what we had a glimpse of in Galatians 2, and certainly we see this occur on a couple of occasions in Revelation, we are reminded here at the tail end of our passage this morning of our need to maintain our focus and right direction of our worship to God alone. Okay, so we're going to be looking at these things here this morning. It's interesting as we begin this passage this morning, John again hears a great voice. And this occurs several times throughout the book of Revelation, this hearing of a great voice. I've already mentioned to you that first expression that came in chapter 1. And the voice that was being heard at that time was the voice of none other than Jesus Christ Himself in His most glorious state. That one who is described as having protruding from His mouth a two-edged sword that we might again be reminded of all that He accomplishes by the power of His Word. Why is it a two-edged sword? Because one edge of that sword is used and results in the giving of life. The power of a Word that would take men, women, and children from a condition of deadness and deserving condemnation and establishing them in His own righteousness by His redeeming work. Giving to them life. But that second sharp edge of the Word serves as a reminder for that other aspect of Christ's work. That He would bring with Him judgment for all those who would die apart from Christ. Where their sins would not go unnoticed nor unrewarded. And so we see how the Word is used powerfully by God for one to give life and for the other to bear a witness and later to indicate His judgment. Well, here we have a voice that is not necessarily Christ, but it certainly is the product of His work that yields another mighty voice. Now, in Revelation chapter 14, we were given a glimpse of another great multitude who were assembled and they were standing upon that great and most peaceful and clear lake with harps in their arms and they were praising God. And we were given there a glimpse into the work of Christ, what it is He is seeking to build. And it was a great multitude without number. Well, here... 
We have something akin to that. Those voices now that are being again heard by John are the voices of all those who are Christ. This is an opportunity where we are reminded of what it is that Christ is, has set out to do, that he is not set forth to build something small or puny. His church is not going to be something that is insignificant. But the grandeur of the image that is here presented in God's Word is that we might realize that this is an expression of the fulfillment of that which God promised Abraham. That one who thought himself nearly dead due to his age without an heir, and he was given such a great and glorious promise that his descendants would be more numerous than the sand on the shore or the stars in the heavens. And he believed God. He trusted in God, though he was as good as dead. And brothers and sisters, as we read the book of Revelation, as we hear the, the word of God presented here, this mighty voice that emanates from heaven, this is an expression of God having worked out that promise to its fulfillment, a testimony to his promises being true, trustworthy and true. And that's, again, another expression of Christ's care for us. As we have just dealt with the destruction of the harlot, as we have dealt with the destruction of that great worldly city of Babylon, while those things were great in their own and sinful ways, they're nothing like what it is that Christ himself is building and what he is accomplishing as he establishes his church. There's something else that's significant as we hear, not just that this is a great and powerful and loud voice, but what are the characteristics of this voice? You note that a little later. It says, it's like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Have you ever stopped to think of where else have you read of God speaking and it sounding like thunder. God answered Moses in Exodus 20, I believe it's verse 19, and it is likened unto thunder. Well, what's the significance of thunder being used here to describe the voices of the servants of God, of His worshipers, of His people? Well, it attests to the accomplishment of the sanctification of God. You say, well, how? What, in what way does that represent the fulfillment of sanctification? I would argue that this is an expression by which we see that that work which Christ has begun in all those who are His and that He will see through to its completion ultimately ends in their perfection their glorification. Recently I was reading back through the book of Genesis and there was, a, there was something that, that jumped out at me that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to, but it's interesting if you look back to the work that God gave to Adam prior to the fall. 
You remember one of the tasks that he was given? He was given the duty, the responsibility of naming all of those things which God had created. And it was a task, I believe, he could only accomplish in his created state. Why? Because Adam, before the fall, was a true and untarnished image bearer of God. Holy, righteous, walking in step with his creator. And so it was only by that capability that he possessed at that moment in time. And that's the significance of, I think, God recording that for us, that we would better understand that state in which we were created and then better appreciate that depth to which we fell to now as we hear of our voices resonating like the thunder and be reminded that he is working toward our being perfected again giving to us that voice that speaks in harmony with the will of God, walking with Him, which is, which is that beautiful picture of the communion that we desire with our Creator, to be able to walk with Him for all eternity. And so we have here the realization or fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham the fulfillment of that sanctifying work of Christ accomplished in those who are here praising Him together, crying out with one voice. Won't that be nice when all of the people of God speak with one voice? You guys have, have had the opportunity to go through many challenges that, that naturally arise in the life of a church in big pivotal changes that take place. When there is a change in leadership or when there are changes in locations. And one of those matters that we pray for continually and know that your brothers and sisters around the denomination are praying for you continually is that God will be pleased to unite your hearts and unite your minds together as you make pivotal decisions all seeking the glory of Christ. And we know that's still a struggle. We may have differing, differing desires. We may have differing interests. We may have differing, differing understandings that arise. Certainly, the last two years have, have certainly been a challenge to the body of faith as we have had to deal with new matters that none of us had ever experienced before, contending with a pandemic. And yet it was another tool which the Lord could use, perhaps to help us to identify areas of weakness and to grow in our capabilities as brothers and sisters in Christ to deal graciously, lovingly with one another, despite the fears, in the midst of the fears, not knowing what the next day may bring. And we don't do it perfectly now. But a day is coming when we will. 
A day is coming when all of those encumbrances and remaining stains of sin will, be de- will depart fully from us. And we will do the things He desires. And it will be second nature to us because He will have perfected our wills and we will be in harmony with Him. And so we have here a glimpse of them engaging in worship. Hallelujah, they cry. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. You see, the comfort that is derived by those who are are living in faith, those who believe in Christ, their comfort is that He reigns. It's interesting, after all that we've already experienced in the book of Revelation, from the, the breaking of the seals, the blowing of the trumpets, to the pouring outs of the bowls of God's wrath, what is the Christian's great comfort? but that we are continually reminded throughout this book and throughout His book that Christ reigns. You see, as we see the effects of sin all around us, as we see the confusion that exists throughout our culture, as we see the the folly of mankind in the pursuit of human wisdom to ends that are catastrophic, we can only speculate in our finiteness of the real damages that will be evidenced by man's departure from the loving instruction of God given as to even the institution of marriage or the confusion of gender that will show itself over the next 5, 10, 15, or 50 years if Christ would tarry. And as we would begin to see those expressions, I read just a week ago how one who had been, had been a, a poster person for the transgender movement, one who had once served as a Navy SEAL and had been put forth as an expression of how this should be normalized, now was wishing He could undo all of those decisions that had been made and contending with the lasting ramifications of his headlong pursuit into sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, as we would see these things all about us, how easy it is for us to feel overwhelmed, unequal to this task, of bearing the good news of Jesus Christ, but it has never been more necessary and needed. And so he takes a pause and even here gives to us a glimpse, a reminder that we might reinforce in our minds that he reigns presently, that we would not be overwhelmed by these things, but that we would understand and live our lives in that confidence, that we would be in this situation more like Paul willing to speak in love to the correction of those that may be beginning down a path that will lead ultimately to destruction. 
that they might again be drawn back to the Word of God and there find the answers for the many questions that they may be facing or, or address the hurts that they may have experienced. Some of them even within the confines of the church. That God might be pleased to use us as His instruments to lead them back to Christ and there have their confidence once again bolstered in that one, the only one, who is able to heal every wound, straighten every crooked path, and ensure our arrival in that place that we desire, a place of peace, a place that truly is our home. And so we see in this glimpse of their praise that in the understanding of His present reign, their lives are not lives of drudgery, though they may face any number of, of pressures and persecutions. He's already written of these things as he wrote those loving letters to his churches. Those weren't letters that expressed days to come that would be filled necessarily with ease, success, economic or otherwise. They described hardships. And yet, in him... And yet, as we would keep our focus upon Him, our attitude as His sheep is one of joy. For what we have received so far exceeds the things that we may face now. It's so much greater than what we would experience in this short sojourn that is our life upon this earth. Especially as we contrast that with what is our home and what is our future in Christ, which is an eternity without end with Him. Now it's interesting, he talks about the marriage of the Lamb. And many of us gathered together this weekend to celebrate a marriage. And, and we got to see... Glimpses of a great deal of joy, didn't we? Miguel had a difficult time hiding his joy. For this precious one that God had brought to him. Marriages are amazing things. Joyful things. And here we're given a glimpse into the marriage of the Lamb. That we might again be reminded of that relationship which our God desires to have with us. That we would understand the nearness that Christ desires to have with us. That He uses the institution of marriage that we might better appreciate what He intends for us. And certainly as we look back upon our lives in Him, each one of us can attest to the love and faithfulness He has shown to us day by day. We're perhaps even more mindful of it when we have read from Ezekiel today and we're reminded of our unfaithfulness and how often it is we stumble we sin repeatedly. We, we return to those 
past practices, despite his most glowing example in faithfulness and love shown to us. For here is the wedding day. Here is that wonderful feast that, that, that is in celebration of what he has accomplished. And how has he done it? Well, he says here, his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. I think it's good that we, we stop here and realize what this is not necessarily inferring. This is not an explanation that should lead us to some manifestation of a work's righteousness. As he says, the bride has done these things, but she has clothed herself. It's important for us to realize what it is that she has clothed herself with. And, and we look back to earlier areas in, in the Scripture to better understand what it means that she clothed herself in fine linen, bright and pure. This is another way of us looking at that great work of Christ where it is His righteousness imputed to us that is here described as the adorning gown that is possessed by those who are the bride of Christ. You see, this is another way in which our hearts should be filled to overflowing with joy and thanksgiving for the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. This doesn't lead us to personal pride for what we have accomplished in our own strength, wisdom, or efforts. But this is a recognition of, this is a reflection on all of the ways throughout our lives that Christ has been diligently and faithfully shaping and molding and preparing us that we would in an ever-impressive and glorifying manner reflect Him as we ought. We have a glimpse here of, again, that restoration of the image of God in His bride. See, her, her radiance is a reflection of His glory. You might liken this. I, I like old furniture. And I was admiring a piece of furniture at the Heisings this week. They have this sink. Many of you have probably seen it in their basement. And it's got a mirror. And as you know, with, with antiques, sometimes those mirrors can get dim over time. And when we think in terms of the effects of sin upon us, it is as if we've been smeared with something. We were intended to be things that would, creatures that would reflect His glory. Under the filth of sin, there's not, it wasn't utterly done away with, but it was certainly diminished. And a lot of those ancient and antique mirrors, the reflection is dim. But here you're given a picture of that mirror after Christ has finished His work of wiping away all of that grime through His work of redemption. And then in His season of sanctifying us through 
Sometimes it's the rigors of life, isn't it? That Christ is pleased to use as the mechanism by which He is helping us to stop leaning upon ourselves, trusting in our strength. Those of you who are older probably can attest to this. Now, there were things that you could do 30 years ago that are no longer easy today. I used to love to roof houses. And once I cleared that 50 barrier, my confidence on those roofs diminished greatly. But that stirred me to begin to think in terms of how increasingly I'm forced to rely upon others. And if I stop and I truly think about my life spiritually, oh, how true that has always been. I didn't realize it. I was foolish in my youth thinking I possessed more capabilities than I truly did and that all that I had came by His gracious, loving hand given to me in trust. As He is pleased to refine us, we begin to radiate His glory more effectively, to reflect it as we ought. Think of that image of Moses after he had spent that time in the presence of God upon the mountain. You remember when he came down and rejoined the rest of God's people, how was he described? Having been in the presence of God, the people of God could barely look upon him. He had to bear a veil, didn't he? For a good period of time until that radiance diminished. Well, here, here is a bride that Christ has been pleased to make most radiant. And she will never diminish. You see, we saw a beautiful bride yesterday stand before us. Many of you can attest to yourselves having been beautiful brides on that glorious day of your marriage. But you and I, we diminish, don't we? Yeah. But the work that Christ is doing and what He is preparing us to be is a bride unblemished, radiant, and that radiance will never depart. Oh, what a glorious picture has been presented to us this day of what is our ultimate and end reality through the accomplished work of Christ. Now, it's interesting that tucked at the, at the end of our passage this morning is something that better resembles a warning. What do we see here in the latter portion? The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then we're reminded again that we stumble. We see expressed again a mistake by God's creature. In the spectacle that has been presented in the, in the awesomeness of this vision that has been presented to John, his first response is to fall down and he begins to worship that which is nearest to him at the time, the messenger. And this is a pitfall that can befall us as well. We can sometimes confuse 
what it is that we should be giving thanks for, and who it is that possesses the hand that has given these things. And again, we see the love of Christ demonstrated through His appointed messenger. He doesn't strike down John for having worshipped wrongly at the feet of this angel. He corrects him and reminds him, your worship is to be focused upon God alone. There are a lot of things in this life that are vying for your affections and your worship. And there are a lot of things that the world would even deem to be good. And yet they can grow to such an unhealthy level that they move out of the realm of being things that we merely appreciate to becoming idols and things that wrongly receive our worship. We may be guilty of that as men in our work. Or we can become so consumed in it, so dependent upon it, that our eyes begin to drift from that one who has one given us those places of occupation to use the gifts he's bestowed upon us all for the glory of his name. And he has to realign us time and again. And so here, he realigns John. And you know what? It isn't the last time. We're going to get to Revelation 22. And again, this same temptation will fall upon John to fall and begin to worship. And again, the loving expression of our God is seen as correction is given. And right focus is again reasserted. That we worship God, the giver of all these good things. Let's look to Him in prayer. Almighty God, again, we thank You for Your many and splendid gifts. For Lord, as we have had opportunity to explore across Your Word this day, Your promises, Your promises being realized and fulfilled. Oh Lord, how our hearts sing that though we sinned, though once we bore most gloriously Your image, we became tarnished and reflected only most poorly that image which You were pleased to bestow upon us. We were deserving, Lord, of Your wrath and condemnation for our sin, for You are holy and cannot tolerate to be in the presence of sin. We were separated from You ones who once had walked with You in the cool of the day and the splendor of that beautiful paradise You had established. Lord, that harmony was broken. That communion was broken. And oh, had we ended only there, what misery. And yet You gave a promise that You would bring forth the seed of the woman who would demonstrate His strength and majesty. And He would ride forth and crush the head of the serpent, our great enemy. And by and through Him, by His spilt blood, 
that awesome price paid, you were pleased to purchase us, freeing us from that most awful of masters, that we might become slaves of righteousness. And then, Lord, you reveal yourself throughout your word that we might better understand, oh, how great and lovely, how loving and patient and kind is that one whom we serve. Oh, Lord, we thank you for these glimpses into what it is that he is working to accomplish. Help us, Lord to grow day by day in our walk with You. That with each day, we might demonstrate the fruits of righteousness as He is pleased through the work of His Spirit to work within us. That we might day by day be more prepared as that bride of Christ. More radiant, as we would walk in accord with Your Word, Lord, may You be pleased to build Your church. That a needy world, as You would go forth before us, preparing hearts and minds, might note those great differences, the radiance of Your bride, and desire, Lord, to know better that hope that is within us, a hope founded and centered upon our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that One whom we look to and we call even today to come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, keep us from idolatry, but rather focus our attention upon that One who is faithful, that one who is true, that one who is our husband, Jesus Christ. Amen.